Hey everybody, I'm uh, Michael Angelo Caruso. I'm on with my good friend Terry Bean. Hi, Terry. Hey, Mike. How are you, man? It's been a long time since I've seen you like through video screen. I know. We got a lot of catching up to do. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that if you like this kind of thing, you should like it and subscribe to it on the YouTube channel. Uh, and you should also, um, if you're into speaking like Terry and I are, you should uh, join the Present Like a Pro group on Facebook. And uh, we'll get you leveled up in no time. Terry Bean knows a fair amount about speaking. He's been doing it for a long, long time. And he is a co-founder of the TEDx Detroit event. Do I have that right? Was it just you and Charlie Wahlberg back in the day? You know, it's funny that you say that. I've never referred to myself as co-founder, right? Charlie, Charlie is driving that bus 100% of the way. But I will say that he hung up the phone with the guys at TED and called me and said, we're putting on a TEDx Detroit event. So I was involved for minute two, I guess. And that was over a decade ago, yeah? Yeah, 2009. We're, uh, we're rolling into number 12 this year, and the planning's already well begun, and, and we're going to try something different. We're going to have the whole thing announced and locked and loaded in January. We're, we're blowing the doors out. Last year, we announced in August, to give you an idea. So we're trying a whole different spiel this time. This Excited is a, about that. This is a fall event, and you're going to have it locked down in January? Yes, yes. What's yes, the strategy yes. to this? Is it, is it a secret strategy, or is it something that everybody might learn from? So it's, it's, it's practicality is really what it is, Michael. So you know, if you have an event in the fall, and you announce it in August, and you're trying to get 4,000 people there, and you don't give them enough runway, it's hard to fill seats. Yeah. More important than that, though, if you're trying to get sponsors for a 4,000-person event, and you don't give these corporate entities enough time to put it in their budget, it doesn't really happen. Yeah. So those are the, the two big ideas is the amount of promotion. And I, the reality is, as you know from, uh, and we've had conversation about the, the, the current state of live events, you got to beat people over the head to get them there anymore. And so now we have to, now we'll have time, we'll have energy, we'll be able to distribute it throughout as opposed to, you know, trying to cram it into a short period of time. Yeah. You know, I went to your event last year, there were a lot of people there, but um, you know, everybody's got ambitions to grow their, grow their stuff. And I certainly uh, feel you on this. If you're, if you're charging enough money for corporate sponsors, it's what's called the uh, capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. and, and they need to budget that a year in advance sometimes. So that lead time is very important. That's right. um, I know plenty of people that sell a 4,000 seat event before the 4,000 seats are sold. That's right. Uh, which I don't recommend, by the way, but some people do it that way. Well, as long as you're not buying a 4,000-seat event before the 4,000 seats yeah, are sold, yeah. you're probably okay, right? Because that's, that's a different expense at that point. And that's probably the downside to scheduling it and confirming everything like the venue so much in advance. You're out of pocket for the down payment or the deposit for the venue. And you guys are at a big theater these days. Um, it's interesting that you should mention it, like uh, mention this, uh, this trend for you guys because I've been pitching 100-day promotion schedules to speakers for forever because everybody tries to do stuff in the last you know three or four weeks before the date and there's just not enough time to set all the grass fires you need to set in order to have a big blaze by the time of the event so i'm all for it i, I just think uh 
in order to rack up 50,000, 100,000 internet impressions, you need, you need some clock. You need time. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I love your grass fire analogy because ultimately it should culminate in a huge blaze. And if you're not, you know, I don't want to talk too much about fire right now, just sensitive to what's going on on the planet. But if you're not sparking those things in multiple places at multiple times and giving them a little bit of time to gestate, um, it doesn't really catch. And so, yeah, man, you really, really need that time. You need that effort and you need many hands kind of lifting and uplifting that, that process. And that, and we're really blessed in that respect, right? We have a lot of people that are on board that are taking part, that are participating and doing their best to spread that out. Good, good. I was thinking too, I've got my marketing hat on now, thanks to this conversation. You must have uh, thoughts about doing some sort of a reunion or best of hype, what they used to call a sizzle reel or something like this, because you've not only had famous people do the event, and of course that video is available to you, but you've had people that were not yet famous that became famous, and now you've got the kind of the, you know, we discovered them uh, patina on that footage. Um, uh. It's pretty wild, right? So, uh, you know, the, the first one that comes to mind is several years ago, we had Dale Earhart Jr. Jr. perform. Yeah, yeah. The and that, yeah, but no, the, the band. There's a, there's a band with that name as well. So they, they performed on, on stage and it was, they did great, right? And, and a couple of years later, we were talking about talk show hosts before we came on the, on the show, you and I. And all of a sudden, I forget if it was Kimmel or Fallon, but this band now is playing on their show. And it's like just so crazy to see, you know, Jason Hall, who doesn't need our help by any stretch of the imagination, but Jason's a kind of a Detroit legend with uh, Ride Detroit and um, what he was doing even before that. And it was, uh, he was on our show. And the next thing you know, he's in a national Apple commercial, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun to watch these guys take off and do really cool things. Yeah, and especially cool to see Detroit coming back. Here's another fire analogy from the ashes. Yes. Well, that's part of our slogan, right? So that actually completely fits, right? We <laughs> shall rise again from the ashes. Detroit was the first city in 2007, first city to go into the dump, the uh, Great Recession. And we had our issues before then for decades, corrupt government. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, when everybody leaves the city, urban flight, flight. Right? yeah, uh, urban blight resulting in urban urban flight, and then we were in it longer than everybody else too. We officially filed bankrupt bankruptcy. Remember that Did the city oh, yeah. really filed bankruptcy, the largest city in the history to do so. I think that's still true today. Yeah, yeah. And then a guy named uh, just a quick Detroit history. We're so proud of this. I never get tired of talking about it. Maybe you don't either. It's a cool. Story. Name of Dan um, Gilbert comes around. Gilbert, for those of you outside of Detroit, owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he founded the first online mortgage company, Rock Financial. And he gets this idea of investing in Detroit. I don't think he ever had the idea of, of helping Detroit in the way that he has, but it has been, I tell Terry, I tell people this, Terry, when I'm traveling, they, they all go, well, how's Detroit doing? And I say, Detroit is simply the most successful urban renewal success story in the history of civilization. And I'm not understating it when I say that. 
we came back huge. And if you take pictures now when you go downtown of parties and events and stuff and you post it online and say, guess where I am? People never guess Detroit. It is night and day different. You've got to have similar feelings. It's a whole different ball game, right? And the level of pride and the level of excitement and the level of amount of conversations I have on this topic of, you know, where we were a decade ago to where we are now, it's yeah. night and day. So to, to kind of wrap this back around, Dan Gilbert spoke at TEDx Detroit number two back in 2010. At the very end of that presentation, he looked at the audience of a thousand people in the room and he said, you're all thinking too small skyscrapers are cheap it i mean it was like he just reached in the audience grabbed people by the throat shook them around a little bit and you think about it at the time he owned zero skyscrapers yeah today he and his group own roughly 90. so nine, nine, zero. nine, nine zero yeah so his group everybody is uh, bedrock and uh you probably guessed to the end of the story now, they've become chief stakeholders in Detroit. Somebody told me, Terry, that, that Bedrock's private security department is better tricked out than the, the uh, DPD, Detroit Police Department, because they got all the toys. And Dan couldn't leave, and no disrespect to, to our men in blue here, but Dan couldn't leave his biggest investment, now 90 uh, buildings, 90, pro 90 skyscrapers, I don't know how many properties in the hands of the Detroit Police Department. He, he knew they were way understaffed, way underfunded. And now they're both working together. And Detroit's one of the safest places you can go to now. It's just, uh, it's been a, just a Cinderella story and I, I'm so proud of it. And, um, and congrats on getting Dan there in, in, in uh, year two. In fact, TEDx Detroit did not start in Detroit. Nobody was in Detroit doing events. You couldn't get people to go downtown. Where that, was Lawrence Tech place? What's that? Where was your first event? Yeah, Lawrence Tech University. Yeah, now, yeah. that was, and, and so for those of us not in the area, Lawrence Tech is in a town called Southfield. Southfield is adjacent to Detroit, um, but it is in a different county. And a couple of fun things. One, back then, our rallying cry, because we really needed to get the suburbs and the city to actually work together was it didn't really matter where you were on the map if if somebody wasn't from here you didn't say you were in West Bloomfield or Farmington Hills or Chesterfield we're all from Detroit so we tried to use that analogy yeah. but candidly I had a friend that worked at Lawrence Tech University and we had zero budget to put on an event so she gifted us an auditorium so we could fit the 300 people in the room the first time. That was, that was the secret sauce. That, and to your point, getting people to come to the city, it was not fashionable back in 2009 to go to the city. It was, I don't know that it was scary, but it was scary for most. Oh, yeah. In fact, back then, uh, if people ask you where you're from, uh, it was very common for, for people in Michigan to say, Instead of saying I'm from Detroit, like I'm, we're 15 minutes from Detroit. I am. I don't know about you. Uh, maybe a little bit longer now. We moved on October 1st from uh, Royal Oak to Rochester. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll catch up on that. But, but if you were from like the Detroit area, you didn't say Detroit. D Detroit was like a curse word. You would say, I'm from Michigan. 
And now everybody's saying they're from Detroit. Even if they live in the UP, I'm from Detroit. They got closed the whole shooting match, man. Detroit versus everybody. I never really understood that slogan, but, you know, whatever whatever works for people, I guess. Yeah, so we're back, baby. (laughs) We also are very involved with what I think is the best uh, networking group and certainly the longest uh, standing networking group this is a live meetup as i understand it and also there's quite a bit of online connectivity with motor city connect tell us a little bit about how that got started and where you are now yeah so that whole idea was exactly what you just said right it was the idea of taking this real world face-to-face networking and then mirroring it with the online networking that was brand new so back in 2006 um, you could go to an event and meet people, or you could go to a weekly event like BNI, which is the, you know, Ivan Meisner is the godfather of modern networking for sure. Um, and BNI chapters were pervasive, but they didn't really have any online attributes. I mean, this is 2006 uh, was the year that old people, gray hair, no hair, depending on which part of me you're looking at. Uh, that was the year we got on the Facebook, right? That was when they stopped needing the edu email address was 06. Before that happened, Motor City Connect came online. And it was partly through all my networking with LinkedIn and all the connecting I'd been doing with people around the world. And to your earlier point about Detroit was already going down before 2007 and before the actual national recession, I knew in 06 that if we didn't create and empower an entrepreneurial class in this area, this area was going to die. Ford wasn't bringing us back, GM wasn't bringing us back, Chrysler was not bringing us back. We needed to individually, and more importantly, collectively bring us back. So Motor City Connect exists to empower the entrepreneur, to help them grow their business, so we could work together on our community. And that's, that's what we do. That's what we did. And that's what we continue to do. Was birthed before Facebook? Uh, so after Facebook, but before old people could be on Facebook. Okay. Right? So, yeah. The, first. Yeah. What's that? Facebook was a college thing at first. Exactly. So there was a period of time. And it wasn't terribly long. But there was a period of time when you could not get on Facebook unless you had a .edu address. Okay. You could get on Motor City Connect. So I, I've been on Facebook. It'll be 14 years this year, right? It's it's like ridiculous. And Motor City Connect will also subsequently be turning 14 this year. But again, it's just there's a period of time. And and you know the adoption curve, right? If most people, Facebook started really becoming a thing in 2008, 2009, and by 2010, a lot of us were on. Right, but the the early adopters, right, the, the the day one people that weren't in college were 2006. Yeah, and it's always been the younger, I don't know about tech savvy, but tech oriented people that that are the first adopters. I like how you said that that uh, people with gray hair came to Facebook last. It's true, uh, even after they could technically get on Facebook, they couldn't figure it out. That's right. Facebook was a technical uh, nightmare. It's very intuitive now, I think, for almost everybody. Just like PowerPoint. I remember there used to be PowerPoint tutorials. Remember? Absolutely. People paid money for that shit because they couldn't figure it out on their own. That's exactly right. Things have changed so much. PowerPoint's very intuitive. YouTube now, the greatest instruction manual ever written. 
unbelievable. Yeah, you can no longer say, I don't know. You can only say, I don't care enough to find out, right? The, with the world's at our fingertips. That's right. Yeah, so much cool stuff has happened. You know, uh, you remind me, when I was in second grade, or third grade, whatever, my teacher said, um, my teacher said, you are going to talk to the class, you're going to experience more change in your lifetime than all of mankind, he said mankind back then, all of mankind combined. And I was sitting there in class, I don't know what grade I was in, I'm like, I'm cool, that's good, great. Sounds fun, I'm ready. And I must admit, some of the changes I'm, I'm just not okay with now, but the changes are coming so fast now, huge. And you're right, not knowing is not an excuse anymore for anything. At all, right? You can just say, I, I, I don't care, or I'm too lazy to look. Those are, those are the only two options. Yeah. I don't know, doesn't they, they, they blame somebody else. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much of this and not nearly yeah. enough of this, but that's, that's I digress. We were, I was, had a breakfast meeting today uh, with a guy who's in the Internet of Things, the IoT space, and, and runs a data center and stuff, and we were talking about autonomous vehicles, right, and how much data those things require and how that's going to end up having to be an onboard, like on the actual vehicle exchange, and cars will talk to each other, right, and what that future looks like, and, and just how right up against it we are. Obviously, Tesla's already out. Cadillac and Nissan have self-driving cars. A few other manufacturers do as well. And just where we are in the, in the development. And now, you know, you're probably like me, still waiting for the flying cars that we were told we'd have from the Jetsons. Um, you know, anytime we want to do that, exactly. Chop, chop, let's go. But, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about yeah. how much change has really happened. I was in a Jeep, and for those of you watching this video, this is uh, January 20th of 2020. I was in a Jeep the other day that self-parks. Just a Jeep. It wasn't even a Grand Cherokee. It was just a Cherokee. <laughs> you hit it, the parallel park, went in reverse, did the whole thing? into a parking spot. Yeah. You better move the uh, gear shift manually. But here's the freaky thing. It backs up faster than I do. You know? <laughs> And I don't trust it at all because of that change thing. But we'll all get there eventually. And I love what you're saying about the cars talking to each other. We haven't even gotten there yet. But can you, can you imagine like a human conversation between cars? Ooh, this guy's got some cologne on today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly it. The other talk about that we were talking about was the idea, if you think about your car and how much time your car sits, right, when you're not in it, and he's like, there's going to be no more buying cars. Everything's going to be ride share. And so as a result, there won't be any more need for parking, right? So all the spots that are all reserved for parking lots, all of that becomes real estate that can be used to do other things because the cars will all be in perpetual motion. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, wow. I, you know, I hadn't even contemplated some of that. And it was, it was fascinating. You know, an easy way to think about this uh, is uh, Uber, which remade the taxi industry, which badly needed to be remade. I'd like to have a dollar. Uh, let's say it another way, because it's not about monetary. It's about me being pissed off. I hated it, the way taxi companies treated people, especially the elderly, uh, old people standing out in the, in the weather, waiting for a taxi that was never going to come, you know? And, and by the way, Uber left me stranded last week. I called an Uber. 
and then I, I mean, and the guy he's like I'm trolling, watching him not my watch but my phone and he gets like two minutes from me and he vanishes off the radar really? rare rare but it happens in the taxi industry it happened all the time yeah. and who and what do you do you know you can't even complain the taxi companies were above everything you know because they had a monopoly or whatever in your town <clears throat> so that's changed um but but to your point about um about everything changing parking what about insurance rates on automobiles that's a multi-billion dollar industry and if you're not paying for insurance what what happens so ultimately it's going to probably and i'm complete speculation right now but think about the music industry yeah. right eminem a detroit native just drops a new album last Friday. No one knew it was coming out, right? That entire album's available on Spotify. I pay, I actually pay the $15 for a family Spotify membership every month, but lots of people pay $0 a month for Spotify. Eminem's not trying to figure out how to sell that album. He's trying to get it in the hands of people so they can actually listen to it because yeah. he knows he gets paid a, a fraction of a penny every time it hits play. My guess is, as you're getting this car, right, you're going to be responsible for the small portion of the wear and tear, a small portion of the gas, a small portion of the insurance, and that's going to just roll up into your, whatever the rate is that you're charged to use that car, whether you're driving from here to your office or from here to the airport or to dinner or to Mexico, yeah. right? It's yeah. going to, it's going to be built out that way. Amazing. Uh -huh. Cool. Yeah, remember when you two gave gave their album away to everybody that had an iPhone? Yes, yes. I remember a lot of people complaining about you two having an album. Like, so, well, so, uh, Bono's riding his bike in Central Park sometime later. He falls and breaks his arm. You remember that? I do, absolutely. My joke was, I tweeted this, it, it got a lot of attention, that Bono broke his arm, not bike riding in Central Park, he broke his arm helping people get you two off their iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was patting himself on the back for having so many downloads. <laughs> some of that too. It did become album of the year, which is another interesting thing about change. They thought they were just doing everybody a giant ass favor. And they, they lost a lot of fans because it, it would do autoplay. And for the people that didn't care for you too, this is the biggest pain in their ass of, you know, the decade. And then it won album of the year, which means they didn't give you a piece of crap. They gave you album of the year. Right. Nobody knew that was going to happen. That's it, but Bono probably did, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's, when you're when you're at that level, and you're a you're a former rock star, so you know, right? The amount of intensity and the amount of vision and the amount of self belief you have to have to pull that kind of stuff out, and you think about the audacity to decide that you know what, everyone who's an iPhone user wants our music on their phone, so we're just going to make that happen. Yeah. But there's a there's a there's something just inspired about that concept. Yeah. I'm a I'm an Android user, so I had to I had to borrow my wife's phone to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, part of this change thing is uh, it's like guessing what's gonna what's gonna work and what's not gonna work. You know, and being there reasonably early so that you can get a foothold in a very competitive market. Uh, we're out of the information age now. We're in the experiential age. Everybody has access to the same information. That's right. And that's why I admire you so much. You're in the front, you know, on the front, uh, 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 sorry, street level of uh, TEDx Detroit. You're on the street level of MCC, uh, the, the best networking 
slash um, live and online platform in the city. You own it. No one's, no one's going to, I mean, every, no one can take you on because you have so much uh, of a head start. You know, it's like having the equivalent of a seven-year patent. Yeah. Uh, statute of limitations or whatever they call that. And you're doing it again with coaching online. Tell us about this new program because you're now teaching people to do something you are a master at, which is being connected. Yeah, you know, honestly, it happened in a couple of ways because one, I, I, I wrote a book on business networking called Be Connected. So nice plug. Very nice. Thank you. Ding, ding. Um, and it was one of those things where, and you may run into this too, when you're an expert at something, you don't necessarily understand where the starting point is for other people. So if you're communicating from your level of experience, you may leave a couple of people in the dust. And of all the reviews I got on that book, that one, the one where the lady said this was a great book, but I wish he would have started earlier than he did in the process. Um, that's the only one I ever paid attention to, right? That's the only one because, you know, five star reviews don't really mean anything to me. I'm grateful for them, but I don't learn from them. Yeah. Right. You only learn from the ones where there's like a critique. And so I was like, you know, I got to put a program together that meets people where they are, because my strong belief is the better we all get at networking, the better all of our networking will be. Right. So if I can put a program together that actually facilitates learning in that space um, that helps people understand, you know, what networking is, why it works how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, what the best practices are, what the hell to absolutely never do, right? What to avoid and, and really put something together that teaches people because like, where did you learn how to network? Most of us didn't, right? It's not like there's a class, right? It's just yeah. you kind of do it through trial and error. Yeah, networking is, is a relatively recent term. I'm old enough to remember when we used to call networking drinking. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of people that are really good at that Michelangelo so <laughs> there's a lot of people that are skilled at that on happy hour now it's a networking event you know? <laughs> you know what once looks better on an expense report let's just call it what it is for sure so this uh, program is something that people can uh, pay for and then um, tell us how it shapes up maybe we'll get you some customers here you're, you're in line with them and counsel them or coach them through things that they can do to get access to people that might amp up their career or help them sell products and services. Do I have that right? Yeah. So the, the structure of it, it's a, it's a 12 week course um, where every week I will be online in a private Facebook group going live, doing a 20 to 40 minute class, right? So here's the topic. Let's say the topic is LinkedIn for that day because it's not enough just to learn how to network in the real world. We have to network online too. So if the topic is LinkedIn, I will be online and I will be showing you very specific things that you need to do on LinkedIn every single day or once a week or once a month, depending on what it is, or just the one time if it's just filling out your profile. Right? And then, so we'll go through the lesson and then there'll be some assigned homework. And then, you know, maybe that's on a Tuesday and maybe on Thursday, we'll talk about the things you need to do at an event. Same thing. Here's the topic. Here's the lesson. 
here's the homework. And then at the end of the 12 week program, the idea is that you, if you do this stuff, you'll become a certified master networker, which is definitely a designation that me and myself will be bestowing upon you because evidently I'm now a certifying body. So why not? Um, and then once you finish that, you'll be invited to take part in my private networking group, which is called Club MCC, which is like it's hand-selected people out of the Motor City Connect community that, uh, that I think get it, that understand networking, that are, you know, kind of a cut above some of the other networkers out there. I love it. Uh, I love two things about it, especially one is that, that you, you've identified a skill set because it is a skill set, everybody. This idea of networking and, uh, and getting access. Uh, there are some people, very few people, who get up in the morning and, and have that stride. They just like, like divining rides. They, they can work a room without any kind of tutorial at all. Mm-hmm. But um, in my experience, the vast majority of the people need schooling on this. So I like the fact that you've broken it into a, a curriculum of sorts with specific skill sets, uh, 12 weeks of it at that and I also like what you said about meeting them where they are not just where they are but when they are that's right in Detroit we call that just-in-time delivery or JIT <laughs> I learned the same thing about presentation training I would uh, you'll get a kick out of this I when I do these speaking things on the road I would email people I call them geo mailings because if I'm coming to Alabama I would email everybody I know in Alabama that I'm coming that's right. the real part and what I discovered was that if I'm going to Alabama in October, that the people that got the email didn't necessarily want presentation training in October. In fact, the only reason they opened my email is because they want it now. Right. And I don't know why it took me so long to get that through my thick skull. And what's the best way to do it now is if it's online and you can enroll them and rolling starts, you know, and, and always have the program be available. In your case, I assume... If somebody connects with you the second week into the curriculum, you'll say, let's get you on the waiting list and we'll get you happy uh, on such and such a date, which is great because now they're in, you know, they're in that's for you. Brilliant. And it's a, and it's a hundred percent now. So, and I'd be curious what your thoughts on this, because you have two choices, right? You can roll out a program that's start to finish and not let anybody in until the finish, or you can roll out a program that kind of is, you know, in perpetual movement, right? Yeah. So my, my initial thought is the first one is I, I not, I'm going to learn not quite as much as I teach and as I share, but yeah. I'm going to learn a hell of a lot because I, I'm smart enough to know I don't know that much. That's how smart I am. I, I know I don't know a lot. I got that on lockdown, right? So I'm using this first one as an opportunity to learn what to do, what to think about, what I didn't anticipate, right? And so I can get that feedback and that's what's important. So as such, the price of the first one is gonna be significantly lower than the price of the subsequent ones. So I don't know why that's important, but it seems, it seems fair to me. I don't wanna, I don't like charging people to, so I can learn. <laughs> you well, know. Figure it out and, and we all know in a free market economy, if you don't have it figured out, people will certainly tell you you don't have it figured out yet. <laughs> man they will and they they let you know by whether or not they pay you (laughs) that's it right sometimes they just ghost i don't know uh if you've ever had that happen where all of a sudden you're like hey wait a second i was expecting something to take place here and i don't see it well there's this too that famous uh 
they have a problem with you, but they don't tell you, they tell everyone. <laughs> and then you're kind of just hoping that your radar is finally tuned enough that you pick up on it before everyone responds, you know. That's right. Yeah. So pro tip, Google alerts for your name and for your business. Make sure that you see those as they come out. That's right. That's right. Well, you have so much to offer, um, not just people living in the Detroit area uh, with TEDx Detroit and uh, MCC, Motor City Connect, but now uh, you're going global, man. And I'm so proud of you and all of your accomplishments. You're a great representative of the city of Detroit, the state of Michigan, the the industry of networking. Um, I know your book's done very well and I can't wait for the next one. It's called Be Connected, Everybody. It's very well written and uh, it's written by the man himself. And for more information about Terry and all the things he's got going, including his new coaching program, you want to visit trybean.com. That's T-R-Y-B-E-A-N. And Terry Bean online is T-E-R-R-Y-B-E-A-N. What's your middle name? Roger. So Terry R. Bean. So Roger. Yeah, that, uh, that's a question I don't get asked very often, man. No wonder you go by Terry Bean. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this yesterday. I, I don't ever go by Terry or Bean. It's always Terry Bean, as if it's just one word, right? It's, oh, you're a brand, man. You're, you're like a thing. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, like Sherry, but with twice as many, you know, three times the syllables, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, but it's always been that way. With you, man. you always got something going on, and uh, I want to thank you for all that you do for everybody. You're, you're an inspiration. I appreciate that, man, and thank you for, for leading the way, man, and showing me the ropes. I, I remember you and I sharing a stage one day, and it was shortly after we had done a, a show that you had years ago, and you actually handed me a CD of the recording. And like, I turned that into a product and I sold it. And you came up to me and you like, I have never been so proud. And like, I'm watching you sell this in the back of the room. You, you like, I feel so vindicated. It was, it was awesome. So you really inspired me a ton, Marco. So pleasure, man. Keep up the good work. You too, man.